All right, tonight I continue with the focus and I've entitled tonight's message Personal Evangelism Model by the Master. Now I call personal evangelism organic evangelism because it has to do with members of the body of Christ sharing the gospel and the church grows in that way. And another subtitle I put to it is How to Turn a Normal Conversation into an evangelistic conversation. Now, I want to remind you for the purpose or the objective of this particular series, and that's to equip members of the incredible body of Christ to share the gospel accurately, anywhere, anytime, with anyone in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the objective for this series of messages. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to our text. John chapter 4. Now, we'll have it on the screen, but I really want you to follow through in your own Bibles as well. This is the interview, that we call it, that Jesus had with the woman at the well. In verses 1 and 3, we have what we call the occasion, what brought the interview or the encounter about. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Now, there's a lot of information in this text. It tells us, by the way, how the close cooperation between Jesus and his disciples. Whatever the disciples did was seen as what Jesus was doing. Jesus was not baptizing, but yet they were saying that it was he who was baptizing more disciples than John, although it was the disciples who were doing the baptizing. Um, So it shows this close connection. And remember the Great Commission, he says, go, make disciples, and lo, I am with you always. This is a good example of that. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Jesus was gaining popularity. He started to become well-known. His name, his fame started to spread. But notice, rather than what we would say today, capitalizing on that fame, Jesus actually pulled away from it. He pulled away from the crowds. He did want, not want to bask in that popularity. Another great example for us as ministers of the gospel. Um, and also, it's, it's quite interesting to know that Jesus himself did not do the baptizing. I've been trying to find out in my own mind, my own study, why that is so. I have found nobody who's directly addressed that question as to why Jesus himself was not doing the baptizing. But the point is, he's becoming popular in the ministry, but he himself was not the only one doing the ministry. He was involved along with his disciples in carrying out the ministry. Another lesson for us. So many that we'll mention as we go on, but we won't stay because that's not our primary focus. It says he went away again into Galilee. In other words, he moved away from popularity, also from possible confrontation uh, with the Pharisees especially. He did not want in any way to put himself in a situation where the ministry would be hindered because of possible problems. 
Then the scripture says he had to pass through Samaria. Now this is a very interesting text. The King James Version says he must pass through Samaria. Now I have entitled it the divine compulsion because scholars have given two aspects to this must in this passage. One is what they call the geographic must. Because if you look at a map, you will see that in order to get uh, from Judea into Galilee, he had to go literally through Samaria if he went on a straight line. If he went straight ahead, you had to pass through Samaria. But of course, we know the scriptures tells us that the Jews did have nothing to do with the Samaritans. So what the Jews would do, they would cross over the River Jordan and make their way up to Galilee or down to Judea, depending on where they were coming from, just so they would not go to Samaria. But the text says Jesus must go through Samaria. I call that the divine must. In other words, this was a divine compulsion. God had prepared the heart of this woman at the well to receive what we call the gospel today. And now God was working in the heart of Jesus to have this dialogue with this woman. And that's a key element in evangelism. God works in both the heart of the person who is sharing the gospel as well as the person who's receiving the gospel. And he indicates that to his people in some form or some fashion that this person is ready to hear the gospel. This is why we should be careful not to try to pressure or to push the gospel down anyone's throws, throws, that we like to say. Because it is the Spirit of God who works in both the person who is sharing the gospel and the person who receives it as well. So I call this a divine compulsion. God put it in the heart of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God himself, of course, that he must go to this place because this woman's heart was prepared by God the Spirit to receive him. And we'll see that in a moment. So the principle we see here as modeled by the Master is that we must be sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit's guidance in leading us to speak to a spiritually prepared heart about Christ. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God leading you to talk to somebody about Christ. It could be the person you're sitting next to on an airplane or in a doctor's office, because you know in a good doctor's office you get great hours, and you have all kinds of people there. So be sensitive to that, or just somebody you might be serving as a part of your job or whatever it is may be. Be sensitive. There are indications that God the Spirit will give to you that this person's heart is opened to hear the gospel. Remember, before anyone can receive the gospel, their heart must be prepared to receive the living word. And it's the Spirit of God who does that. And the scriptures teach us that God prepares both hearts, the heart of the person who is sharing the gospel and the heart of the person who is receiving the gospel. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. Then we have an indication of Jesus' humanity in verses 5 and 6. So Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. 
and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, now he, Jesus is tired. This is the Son of God, but he is tired and he's thirsty. He was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sun was hot. Jesus was just like us in his humanity, just like us. He got tired. He got thirsty, just like any of us. So we can't use that as an excuse for not sharing the gospel. I'm too thirsty. I can't talk to you now, man. I'm too tired. When the Spirit of God is moving us, leading us to speak to someone, we should be open to speaking to that person. In fact, Jesus is going to be talking about what his food really was on earth in the moment. Now, let's go into the discourse in beginning at verse 7. It says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Notice it was Jesus who initiated the conversation. Jesus initiated the dialogue. Give me a drink, he says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is sitting at the well. He's thirsty. The woman comes along, and Jesus is the one who breaks the ice, as it were. We cannot hesitate. We cannot be ashamed or afraid to begin a conversation that could lead into talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus models that here. Now, here's some things about this text. She is a woman. Of course, if she's she, she is a woman, right? But she's a woman. She's a Samaritan. That's very important here. Because remember, the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Not only that, this is a woman. And you don't just talk, carry on a discussion with a woman by yourself. Especially when Jesus was seen as a rabbi. Now, Jesus knew she was guilty of sexual immorality. He knew that. But yet, he still breached the con- He still approached the woman. Everything here that Jesus did, traditionally, socially, from a cultural point of view, he should not have done. He was not supposed to speak to a woman, especially a Samaritan woman, and especially someone who was guilty of sexual immorality. But Jesus did nonetheless. These were all Jewish taboos. So Jesus is teaching us a lesson here also concerning personal evangelism. First, we should not allow what we call political correctness to prevent us from sharing the gospel. Just because something isn't socially acceptable doesn't mean that we should avoid doing it if it prevents us from sharing the gospel. Don't allow political correctness to prevent us from sharing the gospel, especially when we have that feeling that the Spirit of God is leading us to do that. The text goes on. It says, the woman gives a startled response in verse 9. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. You see, she acknowledged the uniqueness of the situation and the fact that Jesus was doing something no male was supposed to be doing, especially a Jewish male. She understood the uniqueness of what Jesus was doing and what he would say, how he was sticking out his neck in this situation. She realized it. She acknowledged that. 
and in so doing so she shows appreciation as well. Now we're going to go into the story and we're going to learn how to turn a normal conversation towards spiritual matters. We'll see how Jesus did that as he goes along. Again, look at verse 12, 11. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Now we have to see that there's a dialogue going on. Jesus initiates it. The woman responds. Jesus answers. The woman responds. You see the need to keep a conversation flowing, to keep it going. And this is what Jesus is doing here with his lady. Now, it's important for us, as we look at the text from the outside, is to ask about why this well? Why did Jesus sit at this well? Why did he have this compulsion to go to Samaria to sit at this well? Well, because it belongs to Jacob, who, was, who of course, was one of the leading uh, leaders of uh, the Jewish people. It also has a spring in it. It is a well that it was fed because it was a spring. And we're going to see that that spring is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is going to use that. In other words, Jesus took advantage of uh, a present situation, circumstances, to use as a means of sharing the gospel. And we have to look out for those things as well as we try to share the gospel. There are many ways we could do that. In fact, right now, with this attention on this meteorite that just hit Russia, there's a lot of opportunities for us to share the gospel by talking about this event. You realize that, don't you? There's a lot of ways we could do that. Even with the Pope resigning, there's a lot of things that we could look at right now and use as a means of getting into conversation and bring it around to spiritual things. We'll see that as we move along. So, what I'm saying is here, you find here that Jesus is focusing not only on the spiritual and theological as they go through the discussion, but also the racial and the social. Because this has a lot to do with interacting with those of different races as well. Because as far as the Jews was concerned, the Samaritan was as dogs to them. They just don't deal with them. They were a race of people you have nothing to do with. Jesus ignored all of that in order to share the gospel with her. So no racial or social stumbling blocks should be put in the way of our sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. See, now Jesus is turning normal conversation about physical things into a spiritual conversation about eternal life. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He's drawing on Jacob's well, being fed by a spring, and the fact that it is still giving out life-giving water. Jesus was using that as a way for the woman could understand. In other words, he was building new truth upon old truth. Things that she already knew, she, he used as a stepping block 
to teach new things to her from a spiritual position. Now, Jesus is revealing truth upon truth or line upon line. You'll see this as we go along. The principle is to keep the conversation interesting, keep it flowing when you're dialoguing with someone about Jesus Christ. And you want to turn a normal conversation into an evangelistic conversation. Make it interesting. That's what Jesus was doing with using the well, the springing up water and all of that. He was making it interesting. The woman was listening because she had never heard anything like that about this well that she always came to, she always knew about for years. Now Jesus was using it to teach a different truth. Now notice what the woman says in verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw again. See, Jesus knew that this was a task for this woman to come here to the well. Some scholars would say she came at this particular time of the day probably also because no other women would come at this time because of the fact of her immorality. So she was there at this particular time. And she didn't want to keep doing that all the time. So Jesus gave her something to whet her appetite, if you will, uh, to talk about. Jesus created a need, a need in this woman, a need for this water that gives everlasting life. And in so, in, in so doing, he prepares her to face her real need. See, her real need is not this physical water. Her real need is something else. Now, Jesus is going to lead her into facing that need without offending her, without judging her, without condemning her. Notice what he says in verse uh, 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Jesus is leading her to confess her sin, to confess the fact that she is living immorally. But he's not doing it in a condemning way. <coughs> and this is an important thing for us as we go through talking with someone about Christ as well. Because Jesus moves to her deepest level of need a cleansing from sin, and gently exposes a sinful lifestyle. The principle here, when we're talking to someone in Christ, we must get the sinner to acknowledge sin. I believe that one of the big mistakes many of us make in personal evangelism is the first thing we tell somebody is that God has a wonderful plan for your life. I think the first thing that person needs to know is that they are a sinner and they need Jesus Christ. You must share the bad news before you share the good news. If you share the good news before the bad news, the good news will not have the same impact as after a person realizes what the bad news is. So we must, prepare, we must get the sinner to acknowledge the sin. Because it's important for us, this is when God begins to prepare the heart of the sinner for the gospel. When they come to a place, when they come face to face with this sin, that's when the Spirit of God begins to open the heart to receive the gospel because 
They know they're guilty of sin and they want to find a remedy. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now notice how a shift in now it turns to spiritual things. Before it was all natural or physical. Now she turns to spiritual things, talking about worship. Her focus is on spiritual matters. And it's all because of the way Jesus has led the conversation. Notice again Jesus' response. And I want you to see the flow and the continuity of this discussion back and forth, back and forth. Jesus was allowing her to respond. She was listening and she responded again. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus had no hesitancy to point out her error or the error of her present faith. He didn't hesitate that. He told him right away that what you are, how you are worshiping is just wrong. But she receives it. At least she accepts it. Notice what it says in verse 21 or 23. But an hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice, true worship. True worshipers. He is implying right now that her worship is not true worship. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And perhaps this is one of the most significant passages in this whole story. The Father seeks to be people to be his worshipers. That's why Jesus had that divine compulsion. It wasn't the woman who was seeking God to worship. It was God who was seeking this woman to worship him. This is an important truth for us. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here is the purpose for evangelization. To find genuine worshipers for God and worshipers of God. That's one of the major objectives of evangelism. Not to put a notch on our belt, I led another soul to Christ. But rather to find those people who would be worshipers of God. True disciples are true worshipers, are genuine worshipers of God. And that, my friends, is the reason, the objective, the purpose for evangelism, to find genuine worshipers of God. God is seeking them. They are not seeking God. That's why we must go as the Spirit of God leads. It's an important principle here for us to understand. And when we do that, we'll find that the people that we lead to Christ who become genuine worshipers we'll meet again around the throne that we read about in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Revelation 4 and 5. Now notice verse 25, the response of the woman. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. See, this woman knows a lot of scripture. This woman is a religious woman. She understands a lot of scripture here. And we must not be fooled to think that People that we talk to don't know anything about the Bible or they haven't heard before. Many of them have. And we need to address what they think they know. When that one comes, he will declare 
all things to us. Our heart has been prepared now by the Holy Spirit to receive the revelation from God. And again, this is an important thing to see here, how God opens the heart. Remember, when Paul went to a certain city, he met Lydia at the riverside, and God opened her heart so she could receive the gospel. She didn't receive the gospel, and then her heart was opened. Her heart was opened in order for her to receive the gospel. This is an important truth. The response of Jesus in verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That is divine revelation. Jesus is saying, I am the one that you've been looking for. I am the one that you're talking about here. And we must be careful to point out that Jesus Christ is the only savior of the world. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone is the basis for our salvation. We plant the seed, but it's God who gives the increase. It's important for us to understand this because sometimes we try to persuade people to come to Christ. We try to pressure them. We say, well, I know I better make sure I take every minute of this opportunity I have. And so you pressure the person. Do you believe? Do you understand? Why don't you receive Christ? Don't you know if you leave here now, you could die. You could get hit down, hit by a truck. You need to receive Christ right now. Just follow me in this prayer. And we go that route and we try to get people to say yes to Jesus Christ. But we've got to understand that a person is only saved when the Spirit of God speaks to their heart and convicts them of the fact, not only of their sin, but that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Let me give you some text for that. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Not me or you as an evangelist or a witness for Christ pressuring anyone. We can't push anyone to Christ. The Spirit of God has to draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Matthew 16, 17. You remember this is the occasion when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they gave all, some says John, some says Elijah, and so on. He turns around and says, who do you say that I am? In verse, 16, verse 17, it says, Jesus said to him, this is when Simon said, you are Jesus, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Friends, listen, this is what happens every time a person comes to Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God reveals to that person that Jesus Christ is their Savior. I cannot convince them of that. I cannot convict them of that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And every time a person is genuinely saved, they are only saved because the Spirit of God convicts them of this truth. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. That's what happens here as well. Now, here are some principles from this message. Very short one. I have a longer one, but I wouldn't go to tonight. Be sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit's guidance in leading you to speak to a spiritually prepared heart about Christ. In other words, one of our prayers should be, Lord, lead me to that person that your spirit is working on right now, that has the heart that is prepared to receive the seed of the word, the seed of the gospel. We must be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. 
then let's try to turn conversations towards spiritual matters. And we can do this. Find ways to do that. Um, like I have one, you know, many times you stand in the presence of someone and they curse Jesus Christ. They use his name as a curse word. I would go to that person, look right in their face and says, that person is going to be your judge one day. That's all. And you'll be surprised at how that calms them down and gives an opportunity to share the gospel. You say, that's kind of harsh. Well, in a situation like that, when they're using Jesus' name as a curse word, I think they need to be faced in a harsh way. But you need to try to turn conversations towards spiritual matters. And you do this by going from the known to the unknown, the way Jesus Christ did, but using the same truths, in other words, the same principles. Jesus used water springing up to give life. That's how he turned his conversation to spiritual things about the Holy Spirit springing into the heart and giving life. You must be able to deal with sin in a person's life in love without rejecting the person. You must deal with sin, but you must not be harsh or demeaning in your dealing with the person. Don't, you know, say, boy, how could you be so terrible cheating on your wife and, and try to make the person feel terrible. Let the Holy Spirit do that. You are not the Holy Spirit. I am not the Holy Spirit. I cannot bring conviction upon anyone. It's only the Spirit of God who do that, who does that. So let's be sure we don't try to take the place of the Holy Spirit when it comes to talking about Christ. Share the gospel accurately, pointing specifically to Jesus as the only Savior and also to the fact that he is substitute. It's important that you share the gospel accurately. Now we're going to take a whole message just dealing with this. What are the important elements in the gospel? Many times you hear people who say they're sharing the gospel they're not sharing all the gospel. They never really focus on one of the major aspects of the gospel, and that is the fact of substitution. You've heard me say this before. To say Jesus died is not salvation. That's history. We must say Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. That's a historical fact, Jesus died. The interpretation of that fact from the biblical point is that he died for you. He took your place on Calvary's cross. And unless a person understands that Jesus died in their place, not just for the world, but for you, for me as an individual, they will not be saved unless they accept that personal substitution. Jesus died for me. And then he was raised again. So we must share the gospel accurately, pointing specifically to Jesus as the only Savior, faith the only basis. Faith alone in Christ alone. That's the gospel. All right. <clears throat> let me just read. Let me, what time is it? I think I'll stop you for now. <clears throat>